0: Ideally, what would have moved you, and I say ideally, is the beauty of the liturgy itself and the ways you've experienced it. And that's the way the church needs to be celebrating the liturgy so that the the intensity and beauty of the Eucharistic experience of the church is where people are going, oh, my God, this is incomparable encounter with God. This is incomparable. That's why, why we need to celebrate the liturgy with this beauty that is presumed that it's celebrated with. And I'm telling you, if you're going to be priests, that's what you need to be thinking about.
1: Welcome back to Theology of the Eucharistic Table podcast. Today we have a different episode for you. We have two homilies by Abba Jeremy. The first he gave on the Solemnity of the All Saints on November 1st, and the second on the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception on December the 8th. He gave both of these homilies to his community at Mount Angel Abbey and Seminary. We'll play them for you back-to-back, and we have the text for the second homily, the one for the Immaculate Conception, we have that text on our platforms. So if you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to our newsletter. You can do that on www.theologyatmtangel.com and also to like our Facebook page. We'll come back in a couple of weeks with our regular episodes. We have two lined up, two discussions on baptism from St. Paul's Letters to the Romans, and we'll look at how the celebration of the liturgy informs our understanding of baptism. And lastly, we invite you to join us in offering our condolences and prayers to Abba Jeremy and his family for the passing of his mother. Mary Lou Driscoll died peacefully on December the 14th at the age of 95, surrounded by her children and grandchildren. Eternal rest grant unto her, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon her. May she rest in peace. We hope you enjoy these two homilies, and have a Merry Christmas. Jesus is born. God bless.
0: Dear brothers and sisters, I love this feast. It's so full of people, people in good moods, to say the least. I I employ the device of understatement. People in good moods. We should not underestimate the value of people in good moods. They are becoming more and more rare. What's the matter with everybody? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could all be joyful like the saints? This feast is given us precisely so that we can be, imagine, vast crowds of people all in love with one another and with God. It is possible. It is already happening in the church in heaven, a happening that is meant to spill over to the church on earth. The scriptures reveal this heavenly scene, and the proclamation of the scriptures in our midst spills heaven over into this assembly now. We heard the seer, John, say, I saw another angel coming up from the east. And what is this angel doing? He's putting a seal on the foreheads of a crowd. Servants of God, they are called. And we hear the number and the name of that crowd 144,000 marked with the seal from every tribe of the children of Israel. So there is all Israel in heaven. And after this, he says, I saw a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation, race, people, and tongue. Every nation. Every part of the world. A vast crowd. A people in a very good mood and they stand before the throne of God and the Lamb again and again throughout the book of Revelation we hear about the throne of God and right as part of the throne of God the throne of the Lamb that scriptural shorthand for the crucified Lord right there in the middle of heaven the crucified Lord in his glory And this crowd gathers around God and the crucified Lord, and they are all singing, Salvation comes from our God and from the Lamb. And after this, another crowd appears to this year's vision. All the angels, he says, stood around the throne, and elders and four living creatures, and they too are singing. And at some point, one of the elders says, Who are these? Another crowd he sees. Who are these wearing white robes and where did they come from? And he says, I don't know. You tell me. Actually, he says it a little more elegantly, scriptural language. My Lord, you are the one who knows. But who are these in white robes? The solemn answer comes these are the ones who have survived the time of great distress and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Who are these in heaven? Those who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, Christ crucified and glorified in the midst of heaven, and a great crowd around him, and a great crowd that comes from where? From the great distress, and have survived the great distress. And I said, these texts are given us of the heavenly scene to spill over right here into this assembly. And this is supposed to describe us now and our future. Yeah. And we're in a great distress right now. In the church and in our messed up world. And who are we? We are here washing our robes white in the blood of the Lamb. The same ecstatic writer, John, wrote a quieter letter, and we heard a passage from that this morning as well, calming the scene down perhaps a little. He says, Beloved, see what love the Father has bestowed on us that we may be called children of God, and yet so we are. Can you believe that? Literally, children of God, the Father lets us be named that. That's good, he says, but there's more later. Beloved, we are God's children now, but what we shall be has not yet been revealed. We know that when it is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Think of of that language. This This is magnificent. We shall see him as he is. This is beatific vision, vision. But when we see him as he is, we are assimilated to the vision. We shall see him as he is. We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope. The apostle calls it a hope. That means we don't have it yet. But everyone who has this hope, and we have it, keeps himself pure, for God is pure. Jesus taught that. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God, and so be like God. All these beatitudes from Jesus, the master, the master teacher, sitting on the mountain and opening his mouth and delivering to Israel a new Torah, a new way of entry into the kingdom of heaven, which is not our achievement, not our observance of a law, but the acceptance of our impoverished condition as human beings. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You don't go out and try to become poor in spirit. We are poor in our spirit. And God is right here with us in that. Blessed are they who mourn. Sorry about the way the world is. Sorry about the way I am. Right there. God is on top of that. He's all over that. He's working on it. Blessed are those who are meek, gentle. That is not out there fighting. This crazy behavior. It's destroying the world and the church. Blessed are the gentle, the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Calm down and you'll notice that that's what you long for and don't know how to get there. Well, just long for it and blessed are you. Blessed are the clean of heart. I want one thing. I want God and his love for his people. And times will get bad. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And then after eight beatitudes talking about everybody, Jesus turns and says, blessed are they, blessed are they, blessed are they. And Then he says, blessed are you in the last one, in the ninth beatitude. Blessed are you when what? Here, this describes it now for us what it's like to be a Christian today when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad. This is Jesus' tremendous preaching in Matthew's gospel at the beginning of his ministry. But we know that all of Jesus' preaching and ministry is a prophecy of the cross and the resurrection. Jesus himself on the cross is all these things, poor in spirit, mourning, meek, gentle, hungering and thirsting for justice, merciful, clean of heart. And in every one of those, his father answers him in resurrection, comforted, Inheriting the land, satisfied, seeing God, called children of God. And we are meant to be in Christ Jesus, crucified to this world and risen in him. And the Eucharist is our pledge. Of all this this altar here in this sanctuary is the throne of God and of the Lamb and we are gathered around it and we see ourselves but gathered here with us are all the angels and Saints a vast crowd of people in a very good mood and that is meant to be us as well all of these scriptures converge and are condensed into the language of today's preface. This is how we open our Eucharistic prayer today. And entry into the Eucharistic prayer, be mindful of it when it's happening. Don't don't lose your attention. Entry into the Eucharistic prayer is entry into this heavenly assembly where we say our prayer to the Father. Father, today we celebrate the festival of your city, the heavenly Jerusalem, our mother. That's the language of the preface. Where the great array of our brothers and sisters already gives you eternal praise. The saints are our brothers and sisters and they are already giving the Father eternal praise. That's our joy today. Toward her, the preface continues, Toward her, we eagerly hasten. We're not there yet. Where do you want to go? We want to go there. Toward her, we eagerly hasten and describe ourselves as pilgrims advancing by faith. That's us, pilgrims. Not wandering around in circles advancing by faith. And as we go, no matter how great the distress, as we go rejoicing in the glory bestowed upon those exalted members of the church, that's the people in a good mood, and we rejoice in that. And so we glorify you, Father, with the multitude of the saints. That's what the Eucharistic prayer is. Glorifying the Father with the multitude of the saints. That's why we always name some in the prayer. We name some and we mean them all. They are all present around this altar. Prayer after Communion tells us how to receive the Holy Eucharist today. It will pray, and let's pray it now already, that we may pass from this pilgrim table to the banquet of our heavenly homeland. Dear brothers and sisters, today we are at a pilgrim table. Our food and drink from this table seals us into our heavenly homeland. Let us all rejoice in the Lord, celebrating a feast day in honor of all the saints. My dear brothers and sisters, from the moment this liturgy began, this whole assembly is singing Mary's song. Mary sings, but she uses the church's voice. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. He has clothed me in the garment of salvation, a bride adorned with her jewels, she sings. Mary is present now, she sings, but she sings with our voices. We are totally caught up in her mystery, her reality, her being. And step by step, this whole liturgy takes us more deeply into sharing in Mary's reality and Mary's being. Are we clear on what Immaculate Conception means? It is the doctrine which states that God let Mary share beforehand in the salvation Christ's death would bring, keeping her sinless from the first moment of her conception. It's called prevenient grace because it prevenes, it precedes, it gets there before anything else. Prevenient grace, Catholics have words for everything. From a mere human point of view, this is a mind-boggling juxtaposition of the chronological order in which events normally unfold. But from the divine point of view, it is a providential arrangement that applies Christ's redemptive work not only to what comes after, but also to what comes before. Mary too is saved by the death of her son in the first moment of her conception. We refer to the Immaculate Conception as a doctrine, yet doctrines are but clear description in words of a divine reality. It is the reality itself that is important And how can we ever forget Mary's stunning revelation at Lourdes to Bernadette in the dark grotto. When Bernadette asked the beautiful woman who she is, the woman answered, I am the Immaculate Conception. Her entire being is this wondrous mercy that God has wrought in her, She is a new beginning to the human race. It's fresh conception, a new Eve, the mother of all the living. And if she is the mother of all the living, then there is some sense in which we, too, as church, can say her words. I am the immaculate conception, meaning that as church, we share in what our mother is. As today's preface has it, the Immaculate Conception, Mary, signifies the beginning of the Church, the beautiful bride without spot or wrinkle. Why do we read the Gospel of the Annunciation on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception? The Annunciation tells of the conception of Jesus, not of Mary. This is today's gospel because the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception is a derived doctrine. That is to say, there's no scriptural scene that explicitly portrays it. Yet it is implied, and so can be derived, from the Annunciation. From the way that the angel greets Mary. And from the way in which Mary reacts in this scene. The church, gazing on her In contemplation through the centuries has been able to derive the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception as a description of the Marian reality. Let's look at this more closely. The Annunciation shows us Mary being directly addressed by God in Trinitarian terms. The Archangel's three salutations Manifesting successively Father, Son, and Spirit. The three salutations are each followed by a reaction on Mary's part. The archangel first greets her, saying, Hail, full of grace. And referring to the Father, the angel continues, The Lord is with you. Putting this in doctrinal language, we could say, Hail, Immaculate Conception. Hail, You who are full of grace already, even before Christ is conceived. And Mary's reaction to this greeting is entirely appropriate. She is alarmed, and she wonders what sort of greeting this might be. But this reaction provokes, as it were, the archangel's second word and the revelation of the Son. Do not be afraid, Mary, the angel says. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son who will be called Son of the Most High God. This time Mary's reaction is more practical. What concrete steps, she asks, ought to be taken for this to come about, for she has had no relations with the man. And this reaction of Mary provokes the third word of the archangel and the revelation of the spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, the angel says and continues. Therefore, the child to be born of you will be called Holy, the Son of God. The Son of God, as opposed to, for example, the Son of Joseph or some other man. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, it will be clear that Mary's child will have God himself as Father." And so, look, the entire presence of the Trinity stands before us in Mary, the Immaculate Conception. Overwhelming, unfathomable proposal and plan. And yet, Mary's reaction is complete acquiescence to what she must have struggled to grasp. Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord, she says. May it be done unto me according to your word. Mary was immaculately conceived and preserved from all sin for this moment. She was immaculately conceived so that she could conceive God's only begotten Son of the Holy Spirit. This moment is clear reversal of the fall. That fall described so terribly in the first reading. That fall that breaks the man and woman's relationship with God. A legacy of sin and disobedience is passed on from one generation to the next. And Mary's yes to the angel's proposal reverses that legacy. She is a new Eve, a new mother of all the living. A new race springs from her. And from now on, every human being must decide, as Mary once did, to which race he or she will belong. To the race of those who say yes to God or the race of those who say no. For it is still possible for us to remain where Adam was cowering in the garden, hiding from God, divided from ourselves and from one another. Every age, every moment of human history can continue to be that dreadful story. And it is only too clear that our times are part of the same, but now through Mary, There is a huge alternative course, for now every age and every moment of history can also be for each person alive the sudden and unexpected appearance of an angel proposing a new creation into which we enter by obedient assent to what God offers and asks We are about to turn now to the liturgy of the Eucharist. We know that through the sacramental signs, the sacrifice of Calvary is made present on our altar and offered to God. We know that Mary stood by her son's cross and that a sword of sorrow pierced her heart. What was her sorrow then? Surely it was seeing her beautiful son suffering so and bearing in his body the sin of the whole world. But more sharply, the sword pierces her during the long hours in which she stood there as she herself realizes that she too is saved by her son's death. That only through that was she immaculately conceived. That grace from his death prevened in her conception. This is what gives her such motherly sympathy for us sinners and puts her so close to us in our need for she too relies on her divine's Son, Death, for all the holiness with which she has been filled. In Holy Communion today, we take into our very bodies the body and blood of the Lord, given us from the cross this is the moment when the church as beautiful bride is made one flesh with christ her bridegroom just as mary was and we sing magnificent words today as this whole assembly comes forward in procession and consummates this bridal mystery We sing, Blessed is the womb of the Virgin Mary, which bore the only Son of the Eternal Father. Those words reveal what is hidden in the ritual action. Mary's womb is not somewhere else, that womb is this assembly receiving communion. This whole assembly is transformed into that as we bear in one body the only Son of the Eternal Father into which we are all formed.
1: We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Theology at the Eucharistic Table podcast. Remember to leave us a review on iTunes, which helps those who are searching for content similar to ours to find our show. To like and share our Facebook page. To subscribe to our newsletter at at TheologyAtMountAngel.com That's TheologyATMTAngel.com And to tell your friends about our podcast, especially the seminarians, priests, and seminary professors whom you know. Above all, We ask you to pray for us seminarians, priests, monks, and professors at Mount Angel Abbey and Seminary and to take the content from this episode into your own prayer. Until next time.